Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This episode is brought to you by Epsilon and their award-winning People Cloud loyalty solution. I am always delighted to have Epsilon on board as a sponsor, and particularly right now, as they were just named a leader in the Forrester Wave Loyalty Solutions Quarter 2 2021 report with the top score in the current offering category. This report is designed to help you as marketeers find the perfect partner for your loyalty program. So to download your copy of the report, visit epsilon.com forward slash let's talk loyalty. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, I'm chatting with Paul Davies, Senior Vice President for Epsilon, APAC and MIA, based in Singapore. Paul's marketing career began in the UK in the world of analytics and data, but also he spent many years on the more creative and agency side of the marketing world. This gives him a unique perspective on the power of leveraging the entire marketing toolkit to ultimately build brand loyalty. In today's show, we discuss some innovative ideas around how loyalty marketers and brand marketers can and ideally should work even more closely together to build customer connection and trust, particularly as we evolve our businesses to reflect changing customer needs in global markets. So, Paul, please do tell me, what is your favorite loyalty statistic? Uh, Hi, Paula. Yes, my favorite loyalty statistic goes back to um, my education in marketing, which um, I got taught very early age a number of statistics. But one of them that really stuck for me is that uh, 5% of your customers, returning 5% of your customers, uh, can help you generate 95% uh, profits. So, it's, it's, you know, to me, it's a very simple math you can undertake on our spreadsheet. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm sure you've run lots of spreadsheets in your time because I know you've an extraordinary background in data and analytics, which we're going to go through. Um, And, you know, as we were talking about that, I was thinking that's something that we as loyalty marketeers, I think we know it so well that we perhaps forget to remind our colleagues in our companies of exactly how powerful loyalty can be. So I think you're right to bring it back to the the simplest stuff. And um, yeah, if we're able to do it on a a spreadsheet and prove the point, I think it's incredible. Yeah, I think it, it goes back to this belief that uh, I have is that you know, loyalty is just part part of brand build, part of marketing, right? Marketing communications, sure. and you know it, it's it's an evidential point to say why it's so essential a part of the uh, of your mix that you're actually sort of constructing. So yeah, yeah to me it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And I definitely think it's getting increasing respect and recognition. And I was looking back at your own career, Paul, and I think you're the only person in 1989, I think it was, who was actually maybe talking about data and analytics. So tell us about your career. There's some incredible experience there. Well, I wasn't the old, only one. There's a lot of us actually back in the UK in those days. But uh, yeah, I, um, I started my first ever project in marketing was to build a deduplication algorithm okay. um, for business to business. So that's how I started. So it was on, in the sort of technology world. But I, um, uh, when I came into the agency world in 89, I started uh, uh, 
I started actually in, um, in loyalty, sort of developing or running a loyalty program for British Telecom, uh, BT. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that wasn't a typical loyalty program. Mm-hmm. It was didn't have points, didn't have tiers, but very much the client viewed it as a loyalty program. Very much viewed it as part of the brand building efforts to generate loyalty to their customers. Wow. And it was a every twelve weeks was a communication going out, okay. uh, educating the customer about the products and services, engaging okay. with them, uh, trying to get some reaction. Yeah. Okay, so good old fashioned direct mail, hey. Yes, in those days, that's all you could do. <laughs> yes. Um, and, then, and then from a loyalty perspective, my next sort of big foray, uh, I did that for a number of years, uh, was it for Holiday Inn in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. I ran, yeah. I ran the, uh, the loyalty program from a technology standpoint. So they appointed us. That's how I got to Asia, actually. I came out to run that program because we ran yeah. all the loyalty uh, solution for Holiday Inn, the Priority Club, as it's called, wow. um, across APAC in, in uh, 1994. My goodness. Yeah. So So you've been an expat for, I think, about 35 years. And again, not quite that long. (laughs) But too long. Okay, for sure. And a lot of it actually on the marketing agency side, Paul, as well, which I think is a lovely context in terms of, um, I suppose, understanding uh, clients' requirements. uh, Because obviously, now on the technology side, you know, you obviously have to build and launch, and, you know, it's a whole different uh, mindset. But I suppose the whole marketing world is extraordinary. Um, Ironic, I suppose, that you're back with the publishing group actually uh, through Epsilon. So, some incredible yep. work. So, so do you think it's a useful context and, and background to have that kind of, I suppose, client side perspective, um, given, you know, I suppose how loyalty is evolving? Oh, oh, oh definitely. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to actually work on the client side before I joined an agency, uh, joined As the well. agencies. And then, cool. yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I went to agency side and then I got into the technology area, more in the consulting uh, sort of tech. Okay. And so I've, I've sort of seen a mixture of all of all three. And I think, uh, you know, it, particularly on an agency side, you have to be very close to your clients, understand your clients' needs. And I think that is invaluable to understanding yeah. how to leverage uh, loyalty and unloyalty solutions to, to maximize their effect. And it, yeah. it's also where I'm a big believer that it's, it's part of the actual mix of, of marketing communications that uh, a client should use. For sure. So given that kind of perspective, Paul, and I suppose loyalty programs have been around, well, 30, 40 years now, how do you think they've evolved over that entire time? And um, I suppose then we'll we look at where we are now in 2021 and what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I mean, well, they've moved on tremendously, right? They've gone from points and, and transactional sort of solution um, programs, sorry, not solutions, uh, to much more engagement and and uh, yeah. um, surprise and delight, and you know, much more sort of uh, becoming much more high, highly personalised as well in terms of its interaction with a member. So I think, yeah, it's, they've changed beyond recognition to some extent. Some of the core fundamentals are still there because you, yeah. you know you can't. Yeah. You can't walk away from that, and neither should you. Um, mm, mm. But I think, yeah, the, the ability now to engage with a a, a customer or a, a member, however you want to phrase it, yeah. uh, is so much uh, more powerful nowadays to, to be able to do. And so easier, more responsive, um, gives you much more sort of closer um, yeah. uh, brand building with the, client, with the actual member itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're based in Singapore now. So looking after actually a fairly massive region. So APAC and MIA. Um, how would you describe, because again, a lot of our listeners are on the US, in the UK, and obviously in Australia. So um, I suppose very mature markets in many ways. So, so how is it in Singapore and particularly in Asia uh, from your perspective? Well, Singapore, uh, sorry, Asia 
generally, again, there are some exceptions. So Australia is quite a mature market versus a, yeah. you know, an Indonesia or, or Philippines, which may be lo- uh, less mature. Um, they are predominantly acquisition-focused markets. So because okay. of geodemographics or ge- um, demographics in particular, you've got a young population growing, mm. coming off the land, going into cities, growing in wealth. Wow. Then ultimately, brand marketers, the job has really been to how do I acquire these customers? How do I bring them into my brand and sort of uh, and then drive that forward? So it's you know, so a lot of marketing in Asia has been acquisition focused. Yeah. Clearly, you know, the pandemic, clearly the sort of issues around data and the importance now is starting to change. Yeah. And it, it, you know, there has been a mix of clients. Obviously, some clients have obviously realized mm. the importance of data and, and customer loyalty and retention as well. Uh, but generally, that's that's uh, that's how they uh, they view it, I think. Okay. And so yeah. you, you go, you know, and again, different industries, different perspectives, F and CG, particularly that way. Um, obviously, we've got transactional yes. data, then yes. it's different. Absolutely. Well, at some point, I definitely want to do a whole show on FMCG loyalty poll. So I'll be picking your brains on that because certainly in my mind, that's probably one of the next big trends um, in terms of people recognizing, I suppose, that relationship building capability. But interesting to hear you talking about acquisition. And I guess if I was in a country with a billion people, you probably, um, you know, understand, okay, if I can keep uh, filling the pipeline, I guess, um, it's a really good strategy to build the business. But I think as you're saying, Saying very clearly, um, you know, it becomes retention. To your point, the favorite statistic at the beginning: if you can retain those people, you can build your yep. profits so, so much more easily. So, so great to hear you're having those conversations with clients. But given, I suppose, uh, COVID and the current situation, I suppose, how do you think clients are feeling about their loyalty programs? Like, do they see them as a core part of addressing, uh, I suppose, the, the different behavior changes going on right now? We've seen more interest in loyalty in the last two years than, than anything anything else, to be honest. Wow. Um, so we're getting definitely more inquiries, more um, more RFPs certainly are being run. Um, you know, and, and a number of things are driving that, right? So it's it's not just a pandemic, and obviously then you know, consumers go into e-commerce, but it's a it's yeah. a data ch- challenges that are sort of now recognised with uh, cookies, and yeah. they realise that first party data is more important. So it's a number of factors uh, that are driving it. But uh, yeah, you, you increasingly see that sort of um, uh, that trend, and I think in the last two years, it's just accelerated. Okay. And it's going across all industries. It's not, you know, it's not the just really? the big transactional industries. It's going across even some smaller ones, retail. Yeah, uh, you know, sort of, uh, and many others. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And in terms of how it's positioned in most of those countries, Paul, would you say, you know, in my experience, I've often said on the show that, um, you know, we always felt like a lower priority, for example, than let's say the brand team. So so a lot of the big budgets would go to the TV campaign and everyone was super excited and they were all off kind of shooting uh, super sexy stuff. But, um, you know, for us in loyalty, it really felt like, I suppose, much more of a long term customer relationship building piece. Um, but again, didn't seem to always get the respect that it deserved. So, so I'd love to get your perspective in terms of how is loyalty positioned in the clients you're working with? Is it seen as central um, or is it more the brand teams that tend to lead? Um, it's not. Um, so in terms of loyalty, it is a huge, typically owned by a separate division or department or team. Yeah, um, yeah. And they have uh, been typically separate from the brand teams or separate from the, the big yeah. brand teams. And again, there's different structures within ev- uh, every organization. Yeah. Um, what you're starting to see, I think, though, is because now the importance of 
first part today to the importance of recognition of for uh, yeah. how do you bring loyalty to your customers and, and brand building is only one you know loyalty yeah. is one part of that component yeah. that's what you're trying yeah. to do really at a brand level totally. so I think that they are increasingly coming together uh, but ultimately how you do that the the organizational design you need you yeah. know, how it's come to work um, is, is still in evolution so if you look at our our clients around the region that's definitely happening they've recognized the importance of putting more money okay. behind those programs okay um but uh, you know obviously it's still evolving i would argue and it's and in asia i think you're maybe behind the curve maybe it's worse of all maybe potentially yes. more i don't know in the u.s uh, or, or something like that so yeah 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 no it's definitely something i'm hearing more and more about so you know i think as you alluded to earlier um you know originally i suppose we all started with uh, promotional programs direct mail and all of that kind of stuff Stuff. Then we all evolved through uh, considerably, built all of our points and whether it's gamification or whatever else. But increasingly, I think all of the conversations about emotional loyalty mean that, you know, brand really needs to be involved. So, so I think what I'm hoping is to see more loyalty marketeers having bigger conversations about, uh, you know, where they sit in the marketing structure. And it's definitely not something that's going to shift overnight. But I think what we've seen, certainly, you know, even a couple of shows that I did in the last year or so, you know, loyalty programs, first of all, are being seen as a strategic asset. Um, yeah. I think we've seen that most clearly in the airline business um, where, you know, certainly they're being used to to, to raise debt and, and to finance through the pandemic. Uh, but increasingly, again, with this um, feedback from customers, I do think, you know, really what we want is to be more connected with our brands. Um, and I think loyalty is obviously the only kind of infrastructure that facilitates that. So again, in, in Asia, do you see that opportunity? Do you think you have that potential? No, absolutely, definitely. I mean, because you know, consumer's a consumer, right? So how do you build a brand with a consumer? Okay, I mean, they, you know, in part, obviously, you've got the recollections of what that brand means to you in your, your history, or you've got the, the images that it creates, or the smells, or the colors. Yes. But ultimately, it's the engagement. You know, if, if you go yeah. into a shop and you have an engagement with that particular brand or an experience, uh, yes. and technology can now facilitate that much easier. You mentioned gamification earlier. Now, it creates much more yeah. in, interaction active immersive experience uh, with a particular member yeah. so you know you're seeing act activities like that in coming in, in uh, predominance and I think it will go into for retail clients particularly how they use their retail shops to be more virtual reality augmented reality leveraging their customer data to drive their customers in particularly the, the, the high, high value customers to yeah. give them that experience which will then drive their sort of brand preference and brand loyalty going forward Absolutely. so I think definitely you're yeah. seeing it yeah yeah. And do you see your clients? And again, I suppose Epsilon around the world has some extraordinary, you know, both capabilities. And uh, and also what I'm seeing, I suppose, is the example of gamification, obviously, is Dell. We did a fantastic show about Dell. Um, and I wrote an article recently as well about Walgreens, because I can see, again, particularly, again, maybe in mature markets, where there is this potential to build almost a separate profit center around the loyalty as an asset. Um, so I think that's an extraordinary capability. Um, I did a full show about it actually as well, but, you know, Walgreens have developed this entire advertising group, which again, I'm not saying is absolutely right for every single brand, but I think what I'm hearing coming through, Paul, is that loyalty doesn't just have the um, the reliance on, on points and prizes and the transactional stuff we've talked about before. You alluded to the experiences and there's so much more, but I think the whole, um, you know, loyalty as a profit center is a super exciting idea. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, a number of companies have gone that way and, and even separated companies out. I mean, you know, and there are even, as we know, like Airmarts, for example, is it's always been a separate uh, entity. Of course, yeah. Uh, with its own P&L and makes its own, um, own margins and profits. And uh, a number of, uh, you know, particularly the, the, the companies that have large-scale transactional data has that advantage to do that um, and yeah, really yeah. leverage their the program in, in a big way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but obviously that requires good design of your program. How do you do that totally. well? Yeah. Um, but also, and how then, therefore, because it's so becomes such high profile. So take yeah. Singapore Airlines; it's, it really becomes representative of, of your brand. So we go back to that brand discussion about how does Hopefully. it support, how does it work, how does it sort of uh, yeah. uh, align and build value across each one of them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but going going back to that sort of you know the actual sort of financial sort of um, opportunity that law provides. Yeah. I think the, the other thing that as new clients come into this space is the risk reward balance that you have to have because okay. obviously with every program there's always some sort of element of risk as well as a, a significant reward otherwise you know totally if, if, it was, if there's no risk everybody just be doing it anyway right of so, course it's too cost, easy so yeah yeah, yeah. So, so i think that's the other, the other equation that i think um newer brands are, are entering this is to say well yes. not only do does it work with my brand but also how do i make sure it's actually sustainable provides real value generates uh, customer lifetime value for me yes. uh, over the longer term okay and and would you be included in that i suppose um strategic planning piece piece in general in terms of understanding exactly you know at the very early stages what your potential clients i suppose are looking to create like would they would they bring you in to to help design and structure it Yes, I mean I got examples of telco in the region that were doing the program design. So it's it's, we call it, uh, it's, it's called program design. So you know, cool. what's a, what's a, what's a point worth uh, if you're using points? Um, yes. How do partners play a role, and how do you use them to maximise and generate value and yes. leverage them? Uh, yeah. How do you use tiers if you're going to use tiers? How do you know what is the experience you want to create at the front end? So yeah. your whole program design is actually. Uh, very uh, broad and very sort of um, uh, immersive in terms of what you have to include. So, yeah. Good, good. Uh, Something very much we're doing. Okay, yeah. I'm happy to hear that because sometimes I hear that, um, you know, that uh, a lot of companies, I suppose, maybe underestimate the element of complexity. Um, So they might come in with um, an idea about what the value proposition might be, but might not include, you know, their their, their technology partners like you guys in, you know, is it going to work? Leveraging your learning as well. I think that's a really big opportunity. And I love that you referenced Singapore Airline as well, because I actually think that's that's a brilliant example of where, the brand is extraordinary and again their loyalty program supports it absolutely beautifully and I know we talked before Paul about you know there are risks uh, as we know um, I think there's one that we uh, that we share in terms of a memory of a loyalty program that went very badly wrong uh, very early <laughs> in <laughs> both of our careers and I, I don't ever like talking about, you know, uh, making anybody look bad, but I think we have to just, you know, as a caution, perhaps for uh, maybe younger listeners who wouldn't have been around like you and I back in the UK and Ireland when uh, Hoover launched their famous, um, let's call it promotional program. It wasn't exactly a loyalty program, but I know well, you witnessed yeah. it as well as me. Yeah. 
No, we don't. Yes, we, we did talk about this bit earlier, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a great example. Um, and because it's so long ago, it was in the early 90s, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And because the brand now longer exists, I guess we're not damaging anybody's <laughs> reputations or smearing them, not certainly. We to do totally. that. But, no, it, yeah. it, it, it can happen to anybody. There's there's good examples of Ermars doing, having issues, um, you know, yeah. uh, and many other major brands. So it's not actually just one or two brands. You can, yeah. you, again, because it is, um, it's, it's large, you typically these programs a very large scale yes. uh, involved you know, and therefore you, if you do a promotion or any activity you can have big upsides but you, if you get the calculations yeah. wrong yeah. Have, have downsides then yeah. it's, it's important that you know go back to that data and analytics piece yes. is essential part of the consideration whether you're doing a campaign or you're doing the program design it's got to be all the way through the process for sure um, yeah and I'm not the analytics side as well so Paul I always kind of really do kind of need somebody who's totally geeking out on that stuff so I can go and get creative uh, because I do believe loyalty can be super creative um, but yeah the, the Hoover example do you want to just tell listeners exactly um, I suppose how it was intended to work and and how it unfolded. Yes, yeah, so Hoover, for people who don't know, is a vacuum cleaner manufacturer back in in the UK. I think they're US based as well. I think um, I'm not sure exactly which countries they're in. Yeah. And so they manufactured Hoovers or vacuum cleaners, yeah. and they. Um, basically were struggling at the time in the 80s. They had a poor uh, sort of period of sales and performance. Yeah. And they came up with a promotional idea with a travel agent to offer two, if you bought uh, a free vacuum, you could get two free flights to the US. Wow. Um, and I know this is where you <laughs> want to dive in because you've actually sort of <laughs> went to Bolton at Hoover, I think, so uh, to do that. And the problem is they got such a big response, yes, uh, which they couldn't cope with and, yes. uh, and under, uh, overestimated that they couldn't fulfill it. Yeah. Um, they also tried little tricks and treats to sort of not tricks treats little yeah. tricks to get away with it which yeah. also backfired on them from a customer service perspective wow and so yeah it was a, a bit disaster yeah but, yeah um, and in this day and age obviously you know everything can be magnified if you do get it wrong because obviously <laughs> social media does does amplify everything but but you're absolutely right the and um, the proposition was extraordinary and again as loyalty professionals i think what we typically focus on is you know first of all you know can we drive engagement you know at uh, the concern about um um, you know, under redemption, but equally, I suppose there needs to be absolute peace of mind in terms of the risk of over redemption. So clearly that's what Hoover got wrong. And um, yes, I will say I actually went out and I bought two Hoovers. I didn't just buy <laughs> and I clearly didn't need two Hoovers in one house, Paul. So um, so it is an amusing example, huh? Yeah, it's very amusing. Yeah, there's, actually, I, I was reading up a little bit before this call, and uh, there's a good example of a, a guy in northern England who bought a Hoover yeah. and um, was to get the free flights. Unfortunately, the Hoover broke down, so he got a service engineer to come out to okay. repair it. And the guy was saying, well, why have you bought this Hoover? He said, I hope it's not for the free flights because you'll never <laughs> get them. So he, he he decided then to say, okay, well, I'll, I'll make sure you don't get home very well. So he he stole his van from him. Oh, my <laughs> so God. The guy to work home. <laughs> so anyway, another anecdote another side. aside yeah. yeah yeah I thought you were going to say he returned to the Hoover and got uh, got a refund as well as the free flights <laughs> no, no. <laughs> totally he, he just, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Made the customer service uh, guy pay back for him. So, yeah, oh, my goodness. Satisfaction yeah. on that. But, uh, no. yeah. yeah. But on the, I suppose, again, back to the positive side of the, of the brand story, Paul, um, one, I suppose, I think is probably my favorite example. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this program at all, actually, but um, it's called Vitality by a company called yep. Discovery in South Africa. And I'm dying to get them on the show. So if anybody's listening from Discovery, please do uh, contact me because I'm dying to do a full show on it. Um, I have talked about it before, but I think the most extraordinary example, because first of all, I don't always think South Africa gets the recognition it deserves in terms of how mature it is as a loyalty market. But I think what Vitality did was really start with this whole, I suppose, um, it was a business model as well as a loyalty model, I would say. So I think it's this opportunity to say, look, how can we build the business to be loyal to our customers? So it's, I suppose, the whole mindset of loyalty that then, you know, just expands into everything. And what I particularly love about that one, Paul, and again, just for listeners, essentially, I suppose it's a shared value model. So again, I'm sure you do loads of this kind of stuff, Paul, um, and advise all of your clients about it. But the whole idea that if I'm healthier, for example, let's say I go for walks, I go for runs, then my health insurance premium should be lower. My claims long term should be lower. Uh, But really, I think in addition to the transactional piece of, you know, the typical, you know, earn this kind of loyalty, I think the Discovery brand has just exploded in terms of how it's perceived by customers because they feel that integrity coming through to the extent, and I don't know if you saw it, but I think it was about two years ago, they've now launched a bank on the back of the health insurance company and the car insurance company. So so I just think it's a great example of of what you're saying in terms of uh, building the brand. Yeah, and I, I've actually seen Vitality advertise. So obviously they're carrying through that whole strategy into their, their uh, advertising approach. Yeah. So I didn't know about the bank. I didn't know some of the aspects of it, but I'd certainly seen it. And uh, yeah, I haven't actually inquired about it, but I've sort of seen this sort of strategy of what they're trying to do. And it was, it was all yeah. about that of, you yeah. know, you, uh, be healthier and then you get uh, benefits uh, in terms of the, the services and the products. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Going back to that brand building, they're leveraging the loyalty aspect to sort of help build a brand. Absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of things, I suppose, are you kind of talking to clients about now, Paul? So, you know, we've talked about changing customer behavior. I'm sure there's a massive amount of market research going on from every um, every brand left, right and center at the moment to see what customers do value. Um, but I suppose from an Epsilon perspective, you know, you've done extraordinary work. Um, I know recently, obviously, you got the top score in the current offering category um, in the latest yep. Forrester Wave Loyalty Solutions report just in quarter two. Uh, 2021. So congratulations, actually, you must have been thrilled with that coming out again. No, it's, it's fantastic news. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we've got the highest scores possible in seven, 17 of the 28 sectors. So wow. uh, it really is a, uh, an evidence of our real strength in, in this area at the moment. But yeah. in fact, we've actually won this award or been in the, sorry, not won this award, been in the actual sort of uh, wave leader uh, uh, area for, I think, I think the last six years. So it's not sort of uh, just a one-off. It's a consistent um, yes. focus and um, okay. dedication Results. to loyalty in that way. Yeah, yeah. in that yeah. respect. Yeah. But no, very, very pleasing. And you know, it also su- supplements all the other awards that we have in the Forest Away area on email and database and other things. So it's, uh, it's yeah. a positive. Uh, what is your view example. on email, actually, Paul? Because um, 
I I do really what I'm hearing is it's still the most powerful communications tool available. Um, and, you know, I just a couple of days ago, obviously, I was uh, speaking with Persona Live, so your colleagues in the US, um, about lots of different things that I'm hearing coming through from, from having conversations like this. So, so is it the same in Asia that email is still, you know, the default and, and the most powerful tool that clients need to be focused on? No, it's um, it, well. I'm not. It, it's different by markets. Um, okay. So email is not the maybe the only channel uh, okay. in, in all markets. Uh, obviously, there are some real uh, uh, outliers like China. It's all WeChat. So you look at Marriott, which is a, a customer yes. of ours. Yes. Envoy is a loyalty program, which is a great program. Super. If you go into into China, you'll find it all on WeChat. It's all within the, the WeChat wow. ecosystem, your yeah. points, your booking, your hotels, et cetera. Wow. Um, you go to somewhere like Thailand and you'll find programs online. Uh, so the line is the app, the, uh, the social messaging app, and you'll find the program okay. actually sort of embedded within them. So what we're seeing is a lot of social messaging uh, sort of tools and capability okay. being used by consumers across the region. Okay. Email is certainly part of the mix, but it's not okay. the only part of the mix. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And clients then like Marriott Bonvoy, I mean, if I if I literally had a magic wand, Paul, I'd love to ask whoever had the marketing budget to launch that program. It was just extraordinary. And I mean, global dominance from what I saw. Incredible to have a client like that. I happened to be in Hong Kong at the time, I think, when the, the rebrand happened. And again, here in Dubai, over in Hong Kong, everywhere I went, I saw Marriott Bonvoy. So that's absolutely extraordinary. Um, so yeah, I'm really kind of um, excited about the, the power of them. And I suppose tailoring by market, which again, as loyalty professionals, I suppose we don't need to be told to do that. Um, but amazing um, amount of variety that you're having to execute on in order to keep a global program to some level of consistency. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's the way of the world. Proliferation of channels yeah. now and is, is, is really a part of the mix. And it's a challenge for marketers because obviously it increases cost to how yeah. do you serve these customers. So they all want to have their own preferences and, and choices. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it, yeah, it is just, I think, just one of these things you need you now need to cope with and manage. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, that's where you can use analytics or you can use AI, for example. So embedded in our tool is, a, yeah. is an AI model which says, okay, well, what's... Um, um, you know, particularly for email, when yeah. you send that email, it automatically sort of uh, runs at the background and then okay. helps you determine that sort of sequence of events. Okay. I think that's a sort of what will happen, start to happen across orchestration, across all channels. Which channel does okay. that particular yeah. consumer sort of uh, prefer to use? When should they yes. send it? How do you best do it? Yeah. I think that's where technology will start to play a bigger part. Yeah. And you're right. Absolutely, Paul. I think this whole piece around, um, you know, the global nature and reflecting exactly the way of the world to use your your term. And there's a retailer I spoke to recently, I, I can't name them, but they are restructuring. And instead of loyalty being headquartered in Europe, they're taking an opportunity to um, to locate it in China um, for global. So that was really interesting. So I think geographically, you're in a really good place. Um, and, you know, I guess digital I've transformation is a essential. But would you agree with that? No. <laughs> wow, tell me. Okay. I, 
Controversial. Um, well, be, well, because your, your ecosystem in China is very different from a technology standpoint. Okay. So again, it depends on how, what that team is going in to do and, and what their role yeah. is. But um, okay. I know a number of major clients, including when I was a, uh, a, on the agency side for this client of IBM, yeah. they tried to relocate their whole regional ta- team into China. After a year and a half, they realized it was too difficult. Now, really? that was quite a few years ago. It's changed. Uh, it may, uh, it certainly okay. has changed since then. Yeah. But I think um, China is, is such a big and unique market in its own right. Okay. It can start. I think you can start to dominate your sort of your team ultimately because there's so much okay. opportunity okay. or pressures. Yes. Well, I think if you're in if you're in a whether it's Singapore or some of the other yeah. markets, to yeah. some extent, it's you know you wouldn't focus on the local market as much. You don't get dragged mm-hmm. into to all of that sort of challenges. Okay. So I I, I think I think uh, yeah that, that okay. would be my be careful it. is obviously what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, no. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I mean, I, I was. Yeah. You know, what my experience says is is uh, it will be a challenge. But I do follow a lot of people in loyalty, obviously. But, um, you know, particularly when I see stuff coming through from the Chinese market, a lot of the kind of messaging from um, people who are executing stuff there is around, you know, it's it's totally underestimated in terms of the complexity needed to, to be ready for that market. So, so again, if you're going to build a brand on WeChat, build a loyalty-led brand on WeChat, obviously you need local expertise. But again, the rest of the world doesn't have WeChat. So, so we have to go back to our loyalty mechanics and, you know, all of our, um, you know, various tools in, in the toolbox, in the, in the Epsilon toolbox to be able to build that. So, yeah, so so I suppose to, you know, what's coming next in Loyalty, Paul, um, we hear a lot of the buzzwords around AI, machine learning. You've talked there about uh, predictive algorithms in terms of, you know, knowing my, you know, preferred channels of communication, for example, which I think everybody's getting better at. Well, what are you thinking are the next big things that we need to be either hand-holding listeners through or brands through in terms of making sure that we get these kind of returns that we need? So I, I think, uh, again, it's, it'll be different, I think, by markets and by industries uh, yeah. to some extent and your maturity. Uh, so, you know, I, um, when we look at totally new clients coming into us, okay. it is uh, the latest gamification, the latest engagement, how you engage with a okay. consumer, how yeah. do you bring that brand component into the engagement process and build a brand loyalty. Nice. Um, in in some, some other areas, it's more about personalization. It's, so it's real-time personalization, creating that sort of agile content, providing uh, ability to, you know, provide the latest offer, provide the latest sort of uh, um, uh, example yeah. or, or product uh, to them. Okay. So again, it's a little different each, each one. So and they all have sort of their own requirements and changes. Um, yeah. I don't think there's no, there's no, I think, Big Bang or sort of you know, something okay. brand new. I think it's all a sort of sort of specific to a client's needs or, or, yeah. or challenges or where they are in their maturity uh, yeah. of loyalty. Okay. Yeah. And would you hear a lot about them saying that um, we expect this loyalty program to build our brand um, or we're, you know, diverting brand resources? Or do you still hear the more traditional kind of, you know, this is a, you know, an earn and burn. We need to drive behavior change. Where would you say the balance is in terms of the people you're speaking to? I said it's, it's moving out of the transactional more into the sort of uh, recognizing okay. it's more of a brand program, but it's still it's still a journey okay. in that okay. respect. What we are yeah. seeing as well is that uh, clients where appropriate are starting to realize that it shouldn't be for one brand, but doing across group brands. Ah, so nice. they're doing it more uh, group level as opposed to a sort of single, yeah, uh, yes. in that way. And then you've got, again, you've got more variety for that customer. You've got the ability to, more ability to cross yes. sell as well as an upsell. So yeah. I think, you know, that also makes sense, but it's more complex to manage internally and more potentially politics because you've got your 
brand manager yes. here's got his brand and you know somebody over there and they you know, yeah. use the data so yeah yeah but you're right consumers love it like that breadth of of potential where i can you know reward my every everyday behavior for example across everything i'm doing i'm definitely seeing a huge amount of that i know i did a show about um a group-wide program in mauritius for example recently um and also in hong kong so definitely a big kind of global trend and again, here yeah. where I live, you know, there's plenty of, um, you know, I suppose big um, conglomerates that the master brand mightn't be known, but they certainly are kind of creating programs and, and running them, you know, across multiple categories. Yeah, and we've seen that as well in the Middle East. It's uh, yeah. definitely a, a trend in the Middle East, sort of uh, conglomerates coming in, looking to br- bring their yes. individual portfolios together. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, leverage value from it. Yeah. And the other part I'm I'm also fascinated about, Paul, is um, you mentioned social messaging earlier. So, you know, whether brands are um, interested and comfortable, I suppose, with incentivizing uh, non-transactional behavior. So things like, you know, if somebody is posting nice stuff on Twitter, Facebook or whatever else, um, you know, is it worth rewarding? Are they comfortable investing in that? Again, given the focus away from, you know, budgets have been spent on acquisition um, and now hopefully moving back into the, the loyalty space. So, so do you see that kind of behavior coming through as well as programs are evolving? <laughs> Yes, no, we, we, I mean, in built in our platform is the ability to, you know, you uh, give points to somebody who's shared something or tweeted wow. something or whatever. Yeah. So they they, yeah. they get value from doing that, which is, you know, it's a two way sort of uh, benefit. Right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, so we're definitely seeing that sort of uh, coming into it. I wouldn't say it's been the primary focus, but definitely it's sort of, uh, an area that's sort of uh, evolving more and more. And I think as social cha- channels uh, increase and, you know, become not just a messaging channel, but you, so you take Line, for example, it's, you know, it started off purely as a messaging channel. Now you can do a lot more in, in line, a bit like WeChat, where you can actually have mini programs and other things. Yeah. I think that that uh, also means you need to engage in those channels more interactively rather than just push mess. It's not about pushing a message out. It's about using the channel effectively in that way. Yeah. I think that will be a, a big area to to marketers to understand how they use that you know yes. I, i'm pretty sure things like tiktok for example will also uh, you yeah. know you need yeah. to understand how to use that particular channel which is yes. given its growth yeah. yeah you're absolutely right i i hadn't thought about tiktok so now i have another uh, potential podcast <laughs> to figure out how to, <laughs> how to do but again actually to to the conversation earlier i think what that does again illustrates the importance of you know the loyalty team intersecting with the brand team to decide how are we going to message or communicate or connect and uh, to use the simplest term um, in new emerging channels because clearly TikTok is, is one of the big new stories but certainly going to, not going to be the last one. Yeah. So hopefully there'll be more of that going on. Yeah, and it's all video, right? So obviously, yeah. therefore, you, you have a more immersive experience. You have much more emotional yeah. pull potentially in, in your communications. Yeah. And that's where it becomes, is it a brand message or is it a loyalty message? And, you know, they, they must yeah. be all sort of, become, you know, sort of merged together to some extent or totally. shares are great. Yeah, I hope yeah. they're at least yeah. starting to measure that. So again, I must kind of um, ask more of my guests coming up on the brand side, whether, you know, I know obviously things like NPS and the KPIs and all of that kind of stuff is being measured. But um, certainly when I worked, let's say, with O2 Priority, as you know, I also started in, in telcos. Um, when we did our brand research, um, the loyalty program was a part of that um, in terms of its influence on the overall brand. So, so hopefully that's something that's starting to come through as well in the clients you're working with. Yeah, I've 
the brand research I've seen, I still, they still see loyalty as are you a member of it and how do you, you know, uh, how do you experience it as opposed to yeah. saying how is it contributing to the brand. So I wouldn't yeah. say, I, I mean, you know, I'm not saying, I'm sure the clients are doing it. I've not seen that experience of really treating okay. it as part of the brand component uh, yet. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully that will definitely come, come through because I think it, it is an integral part. It is an integral part. And it feels to me, Paul, and I don't know if I'm um, overstating it, but it feels like it's maybe the next big opportunity. Because as we've said before, you know, you can have all the technology in the world. And again, you have an extraordinary platform and you're very proud of it and winning awards and getting recognition from, from the foresters of the world. But um, I think the the shift in customer expectations is, I don't think they'd ever use the word emotional loyalty, for example, as a consumer, but I think that's what they're expecting to feel coming through. So I think brands have to show up, have to be there. And I think it's that critical intersection. And I've talked about it in, I'd say, uh, broader terms, Paul, where I would have called it maybe customer experience. But certainly what I'm starting to feel like now is, no, the TV budgets and those other kind of brand teams are probably people that we can get closer to. Yeah, I mean, if we look at what's happened, I mean, particularly in the last 12, 18 months of the pandemic, mm. you know, all the research is saying people are looking for a deeper, deeper, more meaningful connections. Yeah. You know, brands are starting to look more for purpose or authenticity to how you want to describe it, but certainly yeah. more yeah. purposeful driven brands. And, and therefore, ultimately, I think you've got to bring those things in and loyalty can help sort of demonstrate some of that and, and become mm. more purposeful and much yeah. more authentic. It certainly can drive more meaningful conversations and, and experiences with those consumers because mm-hmm. obviously you have the data on them. So I think, yeah. uh, you know, this this uh, sort of consumer need uh, with this ability to sort of um, uh, bring loyalty into close to the brand will actually sort of uh, help yeah. both both parties. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think as consumers, we feel it. I think as brands, we see that consumers need it. Um, and a case of just kind of, yeah, coming together to, to leverage things in a way that is, you know, a fair value exchange and really kind of driving the overall business, but feels a bit better, feels less transactional. And uh, as you said, grows uh, overall value um, over the long term. Yeah, correct. Wonderful. That's, uh, yeah, that's where I think it's going. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's um, that's a really interesting conversation, Paul. Um, as I said, I really um, I get excited about um, any loyalty conversation that has um, you know I suppose a, a commercial focus, but also the integrity of the emotional piece coming into it as well. So so I love the fact, as I said, that you were working back in analytics in 1989, um, all the way through to <laughs> to building extraordinary programs and running them like Marriott Bonvoy. So are there any other kind of key topics? that you're seeing coming through that we should, um, you know, just kind of chat about in terms of what the listeners around the world might um, might learn from? I think, I think this whole area of loyalty and brand coming together goes okay. back to what I, when I started in my industry is, is recognizing that you have, you know, left and right-sided brains in marketing, right? The creative and the rational. Yeah. And I think how you bring those together, I think, is really important. So you've got to have the creative side of it. You've got to have that emotional side of it. Yes. You know, but you've got to have this rationality about the value of the program. And sometimes those two don't always connect. And yeah. I, th- I think also from a marketer standpoint, how do you recruit people that has those skills and then bring them and get them to work together okay because uh, it requires very you know you got you got an analytics person which is usually a much more rational yeah you know, yeah by numbers perspective you got somebody who's yeah. you know much more about experience or uh, engagement yes. and they you know 
yeah, but ultimately now engagement can be in, and certainly informed by the data, right? Uh, yeah. So you've got to now start to bring these two together to work together. And I think you know agencies have, have been able to do this for a while because they've had analytics yeah. built into the business. Yeah. But marked is not so much uh, possibly. Um, and, you know, and, and you don't tend to have usually out-and-out creatives as well in, in marketers. I mean, obviously, that has changed with in-housing. But, so yeah. I think that there's an interesting dilemma there for those senior marketers, how they bring that sort of skills and mm. understanding and as you're trying to bring your loyalty program into your brand program mm. and mm-hmm. have the two disparate sides uh, work in tandem and harmony. Mm. I like that idea, Paul, because um, I've often said I feel like I missed a bit in my career um, in various things. I would have loved to have worked in PR and I would have loved to work in a creative marketing agency um, because I really do think you get permission almost to to come at um, business objectives like like loyalty, actually, and, and come at them with a totally different perspective. And you've reminded me of another good example, actually, a, a show I did um, over a year ago now, Paul, but it was uh, British Gas Rewards. Um, again, in the UK and like both of us in the utility sector. But what I really loved about that, again, particularly was they were struggling on the brand side. So um, the whole energy sector, I think particularly the British media, give it a really tough time. You know, energy prices rise and, and, and you know, the, the, the service providers are almost blamed for that. But British Gas Rewards then gave them almost a, a new tool, a new whole set of messaging to, um, to give back and have that overall experience for the customer where they could connect, I think, in um, in a different way. They have a lovely character called, I think, Wilbur, where, you know, you can just kind of make it friendly, maybe make it family focused. Mm-hmm. And actually people then kind of see it not just as a utility and as an energy company, but they start to like the brand a lot more. Yeah, or they maybe not even see it as a program. They now see it as you know, as a figure, a figure, you know, representation yeah. of of the yeah. program, and it sort of it sort of becomes less corporate in a way, and much more totally. consumer orientated. Yes. I think that's what you know part part yeah. of what creative brings to the table. In yes, that way. Yeah. yes, absolutely. Well, I doubt it was a, a data analyst who came up with Wilbur. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it you exactly, never know. <laughs> well, you never know, but I think it proves your point that we probably need to be looking to the marketing agency community to bring those into our loyalty programs to see what we can do to dehumanize it, to emotionalize it, if that's a word, and uh, and yeah, really drive the feeling of loyalty, not just uh, the overall loyalty program. Yeah, and I think the other thing is again now coming back into a publicist agency they don't yeah. have a loyalty agency per se i mean a lot of big agencies don't you know they've been yes. sort of uh, yeah. uh, the, the sort of uh, domains of specialist loyalty uh, companies in a way yes. so again it's it's another interesting sort of dynamic of whether that becomes now more mainstream in an agency environment Absolutely, yes. And I know I was looking up publicists and I know it is still one of the largest and longest established um, marketing and PR agencies in the world, um, obviously headquartered in Paris. So publicist does extraordinary work. So so I think the partnership between publicists and Epsilon is just, um, is just extraordinary. So Paul Davies, Senior Vice President for APAC MIA for Epsilon. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks, Paula. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 170 executives in 20 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform. Find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews. And thanks again for supporting the show. Thank you.